Good morning. The sermon text for today is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell on you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. All right. All right. Good morning. Thank you, Tiffany. It's just it's a joy to worship with you guys uh, this morning. And um, I'm thinking, you know, as Jacob said, it's feels like the new year, but we're one we're one week in, and uh, I wonder how your New Year's resolutions are going. Uh, one week, and uh, I imagine some of you are already derailed. You're like, well, I'll get back to it next week. Um, and I was thinking, you know, last week talking about um, seeking communion with the Lord, that we talked about this Table Rock reading plan, and you might have started with us, and you might already be derailed uh, one weekend. And um, that would be a problem if our goal was, as a church, to make sure we read the Bible every day. And, uh, and then if you were off, you're like, man, I missed it. But that's not our goal, actually. Our goal is to commune with the Lord. And we do think it's a helpful and healthy practice to be in his word regularly, daily. Um, but the goal is to meet him, not to condemn ourselves when we didn't check that box that day, but we built in a couple uh, days to catch up. And so last week we, we ended our um, Advent series. And then this morning we're giving one sermon to just one of those that we mentioned last week. And this is the priority of the Bible before we get into our series on First Timothy. So if, uh, if you're visiting and uh, you weren't here last week, I want to just bring you up to speed um, to where we were last week, and then we'll, we'll focus in on just the Bible, particular Bible reading. And then next week, we will start our new series in First Timothy. So that's where we're going. But before we get to all of that, let me just like recap. Last week, we were in Acts 2, and we saw, here's what we saw actually, we saw people who encountered God, and they committed themselves to the word, to prayer, and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to breaking bread and prayers. And so when you read that, the story of Acts 2 does not leave you with the impression that this was a burden, that they were thinking, you know what, I guess I should go hear another sermon that will change my life or commit myself to prayer. I suppose I should make time for that. It's just not the sense. What you get is the sense that people had encountered God and they wanted more of it. And so they commit themselves to pursuing the apostles teaching the word fellowship and prayer. And so when you look at that, you might even be tempted to think their goal was to grow. They just became believers. They want to mature. And I do think they 
sure probably didn't want that. But I tried to argue that I think growth is too small of a goal. I don't think that's ultimately what they wanted. It's a good side goal. It's a good benefit. But I think that though growth would come, communing with God was the goal. So uh, to paraphrase uh, a friend, the goal of Acts 2.42, I think our goal in, say, Bible reading, prayer, and fellowship belonging to the church, it's, it's not to become smarter or more savvy Christians or to become professional Bible readers, if that's a thing, or really, really good prayers or model church men and women. Like, that's not the goal. The goal is to meet the living God. That's the goal. That's what they're trying to do. And so when you think about these three things, committing to God's word, to fellowship, and to prayer, the place that I think we would feel most tempted to come in with the goal of growth would be Bible reading. And so when we're talking about the priority of Bible and we're putting Acts 2.42 and putting these together, I wanted to spend some time there this morning, which is like, because here's the, here's the, the tricky thing. Knowing more about the Bible is, an extra, is a really good thing. And it's actually really helpful. And it's not a bad thing. It's not, that's not a bad thing to desire. Here would be the problem. The problem would be if that was our ultimate goal. If what we thought was that God designed the Bible so that we could answer trivia questions more accurately. That's just not like, that's not what we're trying to do. And so what we can do, subtle, this is not, I don't think anyone intentionally does this, but we can take our Bible reading and we can turn it to be an intake in order to gain more knowledge of God. And, and therefore we know more about him. So we feel like we've read our Bible, but what if like, what if that misses the goal? That is, so let me put it this way. I think it's possible for us to open up our Bibles or even this morning and to learn more about God and not actually to know God more. So it's possible to take in his word and miss him. That, that's, I think, the danger. And the thing is, God has he's created us to encounter him. Okay, so here's, here's just one spot. You see that first Corinthians this is Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, so God sends his son to die in order that we might have fellowship with him, that we might know him. We might dwell with him. We might meet him, not just know more about him, but actually be near him. That's, that's the idea. And so here's the question. How do we make sure that in our Bible intake, whether it's right now, at home in the morning or in the evening, or singing songs or hit, whatever it is, how do we make sure, or at least how do we best aim to make sure that we are actually communing with God in that? So a regular habit of taking in God's word, that's good. But how do we move from seeing it as a good habit to a, to a daily delight? Or how do, you, how do you move from checking boxes to the word in our text today, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? So that's where we're going to go. I know it was a long intro, but I'm just catching, hopefully, up to speed if you weren't here last week. And so we're going to look at one of the three priorities of this church. We've got three, Bible, hospitality, and discipleship. And we're going to look at Bible. 
And specifically, we're looking at Bible reading. And in part, we're doing that because for the first time, we're introducing a reading plan that we're hoping will carry through the whole year. And so we want to just talk not just about that, but just about reading the Bible in order to account encounter God. So before we look at our text, let me just pray for us one more time. And then we'll look at Colossians together. Father, what a gift that you've given us your word. And so before we think about the fact that your word is bound and wrapped in leather and we get to uh, read it and open its pages, let's just remember that you are God's speak. And so we get to encounter you, your word, when we open the word. And so, Father, as we open the word right now and meet you, I pray that we would know you more. So meet us now as we turn to Colossians and help us to see and to savor you, to make much of you, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's do this. Let's go to Colossians 3, 16, and let's pull out the main phrase that uh, we're going to be looking at. Let the word of Christ, this is Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So a lot to say there, but let's just start with richly. So Paul, okay, when he's thinking about the word of Christ and his desire for the Colossians, he wants them to receive it richly, like not in a dull way or uh, in a heady way or a half-hearted way. Here's Paul. He says, let it dwell in you richly. And interestingly, it's a command and it's a command that, that like God's word would dwell like deep in your soul, like in your bones, saturate you. And, and it would saturate you in a way that is a treasure. It's life-giving. It's soul-sustaining. It's richly. That's, that's the idea. And now you notice in our text, what happens is as the word of Christ dwells in you richly, what, some things overflow. And so he says this, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. But there's an order to things in the text. First, the word of Christ dwells in you richly, and then what overflows? Teaching, admonishing one another. So there's, there's a, a branch of, that, that produces fruit of teaching and admonishing, and it goes on to talk about singing. But there's a root to that, and the root is, the word of Christ, which is dwelling in God's people richly. And so then the question then is, what would it actually look like for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly? What does that actually, like, what does that mean? What is that? How do you actually do that both individually and corporately? Because I think Paul has both in mind in this text. Because when you, when you see this, teaching one another in all wisdom and admonishing each other, like that's corporate. That's happening uh, not just like right now, but literally one another. Like he, his his vision is that the church is doing that. And so part of the way that the word of Christ dwells in us richly is that we're doing that with each other. And I think he also has it individually in mind that you as an individual believer should have the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you can do that to others. So there's a corporate aspect all of us doing this together. And then there's an individual aspect. How do you have the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Does that make sense? So now then the question is, like, what do you, Paul, what do you mean? Like, what is, like fill it out for us. What does it actually mean? And I think he's already given us some hints prior to this part in his letter about what this might mean. So let's go to Colossians 2, 2 through 3. So here's what, here's what we read. 
that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full insurance and understanding and then the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I think Paul is being clear that in Christ you've got treasure, a treasure trove of wisdom and knowledge. It, so he talks about it as the mystery. And when you uncover the mystery, you uncover something that's not just like this interesting fact. It's a treasure. It's, it's a possession that you love and cherish. So I think when Paul thinks about let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, I think he means there's a sense of which there's a treasure hunt going on. And you are searching and hunting for the risen Christ and to know him and to treasure him and to love him. And it's not a surface level knowledge. It's not just cursory. I think it is dwelling in you and you know him and he's with you. So let's just go to one more spot, even early, one more chapter earlier. Here's Paul, Colossians 1.27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of, of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, okay, so this, see, see in that text, two threads, the, the rich, delightful knowledge of God and this mystery. Like it's not, um, it's just not a net neutral mystery. Like, oh, I kind of found out this interesting fact. It's the riches of his glory of this mystery. And then how does he describe it? He describes it as Christ in you. Like, do you see, like it's, 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 He's the fellowship. Those are words of you're communing with Christ. You know this mystery because Christ is actually in you. You've met him. He's, he dwells with you. And, and it's, it's not um, casual. It's not um, distant. It's a togetherness. It's a nearness. So maybe this is a helpful way to put it. I think Paul, when he's picturing but the word of Christ dwell on you richly. It's this invitation to a feast. And it's lavish. Like it's, this is not McDonald's. This is a ribeye steak. Delicious. Like this is, this is a banquet of delicious food. Like, like the, the riches of the glory of the knowledge of Christ. And, and, and this, it's this beautiful spread. And, and one day it's this delicious steak dinner. The next day it's this this fish fry that's dynamite and then it's a full-on barbecue and, and it's it's this incredible spread of great riches and what's the purpose of the meal like when you come and you are meeting this christ and you're uncovering the mystery by knowing him in his word like what's the purpose and i don't think it is for us to become the cooks or for us to just fill our bellies or for us to dissect all of the ingredients that make up the meal. Here's the purpose. It's for you to actually know the host. Like he's given us his word. He's invited us to know and understand and get into this mystery. Why? And for what end? To what goal? That we would actually be at the king's table in order to know the king. That would be the idea. I think that's what Paul is meaning. And I think Jesus says same thing. And so here's one spot. 
And this is eternal life. So here's Christ describing eternal life. That they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've saved. So that's eternal life. Eternal life is not being able to um, just answer trivia questions. It's actually to know. To know our God. To be near him. To treasure him. And so, here's how I'd put it all together. Here's one way to say it. I think then, if, if we're going to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, it would mean that we would actually need to dwell with Christ. So I'll just say it again. I think in order for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, we actually need to dwell with Christ. Like we need to actually know him. That, that, then the word of Christ would be dwelling in us. And so now... That was a, maybe a lot to get to this point, but I think it's important. Like, why go to all of that? Why talk about all of that? And here's why. I think there's a danger in Table Rock introducing a reading plan. I think there's a danger in every reading plan of the Bible. The danger is that in our reading, we would read but fail to let the Word of God dwell. So it would be that we'd open our Bibles, we'd check boxes, we'd, we'd come into the Word and read it and totally miss our God. So we'd go into his presence, we'd eat his food, and we'd forget to say hi. I can actually meet him and, and be with him. And so we don't let the Word of Christ dwell in us. We, we're like, well, let's just take our food, like fast food to go, like chow it down and, lead, and, and, and book it and not savor, not let it dwell, not let it get in our souls. So now, um, if that's a danger, I don't think, I definitely don't think, obviously, since we're introducing a reading plan, I don't think that we should not do reading plans. That would be, I don't think, the right answer. I think we need to use reading plans wisely. That would, so so don't, don't leave here thinking Don doesn't want us to read the Bible. That would be a, really not what I'm trying to say. Uh, what, what I'm trying to say is that I do think that we need to read the Word, intake the Word, whether it's reading it, or hearing it, or singing it, or it being sung to us in a way that says, I want to meet our God. So, let me just say one more way. As we talk about a Bible reading plan, the grow, the, the, the goal is not, it's not just growth. That's fine um, to grow. It's not to become professional Bible readers. It's, it's not even to become more holy. Like, all those are good, but... The true goal of our Bible reading, where everything else, all of this, is to commune with God. And so, my, this would be my proposal. If you read the Bible, say, with some sense of regularity in the morning, or wherever it is, and you leave feeling dry, one of the questions I would wonder, and my guess is, is that we, you've fallen into reading God's Word and missing God or checking boxes and not meeting the king. So, what then ought we do? Um, well, there's a lot of things we could say. Um, at the core, I think it's just important to know when we open our Bibles or when we sit here and hear it, it's in order that we might encounter God. So, um, I want to just focus on one thing to say. There's, there's, too, there's too many things to say. Like, how, like, how do you 
treasure God in all the moments when you encounter him through his word. Like, this, I mean, we could just be here all day. So I, I can only say, like, I was like, what do I do? Well, let's just go to one thing, one thing, and let's just go deep there. So that's where we're going to go for the next 10 minutes. And um, so think about um, this reading of the Bible in this way. Uh, you're going to, you, you'd open up and you, you'd have a read Luke chapter six, I think is for Monday. And, um, and I think the goal is that you look at that and this is a field, um, or you could just say a meal in which you are going there to feast in order that you might know the King, or it's this field and your, your like goal is to go to that field and find God, this, this treasure, like in, so the Bible reading the goal then is not just to run across the field really fast and like just read it and it got it. It's, it's actually, you're using it as fodder and fuel to find God. That's, that would be the goal. Okay, so um, here's one way I think might help us as we get ready to do this. And it is to think about the lost art, you might say, or underserved art of Christian meditation. Um. That being like, let, let your heart meditate on the word of God. Now, when you hear that, I, you probably are like, isn't that an Eastern religion thing? Like you, you probably, if you were going to guess what I was going to say next, I'm guessing you weren't thinking, I bet he's going to say the word meditation next. Um, and, and so here's, so, you know, you might think like, okay, the, the secular practice of like clearing your mind and meditating. And people definitely use the word meditation that way. Uh, that's very clear. That's why it probably popped in your mind. And that's not what I mean at all. So before uh, the popular use of meditation went viral, the Bible had been using the word meditation for far longer and encouraging believers to meditate on the word of God. And so I don't want the secular use of the word meditation to co-opt what I think is a godly good practice given to believers for uh, since really the beginning to actually meditate. So now I just want to just show you just two places. We can go a bunch of places because once you realize that uh, God calls us to meditate on his word, you start seeing it everywhere. So um, I was reading this week about uh, Joshua, the, the biblical figure, Joshua. And so if you think about um, this moment in Bible history, Moses just died, right? And um, they're about ready to go into promised land. And it's really, it's like a key moment in God's people's history and what does God say to Joshua? He says, be strong and courageous. He says it like three times in the first chapter. And now, how is Joshua supposed to be strong and courageous? Answer, meditate. That's the answer. Here it is, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written for when, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So God was not, so here's Joshua, like he's calling him to be strong, and courageous. And his answer, like Joshua, how you, you do this, it's not just that he would be familiar with the book or with God or that he would just read it quickly and be able to answer. It's, it's that he would be captivated by its truth, that he'd be saturated by it. That, this, that the very word of God would fill him and fuel him and he, it would be on his mind, that he would be consumed by it. He would be thinking on it, mulling it over, and it would be what would make him successful 
um, according to this text. And so then it's no surprise that believers before Joshua and after are called to meditate on his word. So I'm just getting one more. We only have time for one. Here's Psalm 1, that the very first opening verses of the Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So um, I have to stop there. There's too many, there's so many other texts. But so all I'm trying to say is that for centuries, God has called believers to meditate on his word, not to be fast food consumers who just take in the word, forget it, like leave and just totally forget about it and ignore it. But on the, like he's called his people to let the word, here's the word of our text, dwell, like get in your bones and you're thinking on it and it's, infor- it's saturating you, it's informing you. And so to paraphrase uh, David Mathis, which if you didn't know, David Mathis in his book, Habits of Grace has been super helpful in these last two sermons. Um, so here's what then I would say. I, w- I would all want to be really clear. Biblical meditation has basically nothing in common with the popular view of meditation. So if you take the popular view of meditation, this sitting down, knees crossed, um, kind of palms in the air, close your eyes. Like that's not at all what the Bible is talking about. In fact, the Bible says you begin with your eyes open on a book. And where like modern meditation says, clear your mind, the biblical meditation says, fill your mind with the word of God. Like there's night and day difference, not the same at all. And, and so that's why I like want to win this word back. I'm with David Mathis. Like we need to win this back to believers that we would be those who um, let the word of Christ dwell in the scripture. So let's just go back to our text. Let's see it again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And just look how he keeps going teaching and admonishing others and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And so you like the picture is Paul addressing people and saying the word of God informs everything you do. You're teaching, you're admonishing, you're singing like the word of Christ dwelling in you. It's just everywhere. It fills you. And then in case we miss it, this is what he says. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through it. And I'm just saying, I think when the word of Christ dwells in you, that's what happens. It, it, it saturates you, it forms you. When you meditate on the word day and night, it just, it informs everything you do. Therefore, it overflows in this, in this reality. And so here's, here's what I, as you put these two together, this encountering God in meditation, here's what I think Paul's doing. I think Paul is calling people here who he's calling them to truly encounter God. I think that's, at the end of the day, that's what he's calling. And out of that, everything else will overflow. If you meet God and he truly dwells with you, his word dwelling in you, then it is going to overflow in how you treat people. Everywhere from earlier in the verse talks about how they make peace when they have arguments to what you sing, literally singing to each other. It's informed by that. It's informed by that. But in the middle, Paul commands, it's just, just make sure we get this. This is a command. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So I don't think then it's a stretch to say that I think Paul means by that slowing down and enjoying God's word by pausing to actually let the word of God dwell and hit you. 
Now, the art of slowing down, the art of letting something dwell, or you dwell over, or meditate on something. That's a pretty lost art in the world of two-day shipping uh, and, like, fast food. I mean, so, I'm like, this is going to be an acquired taste, but you don't wolf down a ribeye steak. Like, you, you just enjoy, you enjoy it. And so I know that um, stopping to slow down uh, will, in today's world, take practice. But I just want to encourage you. I think it's worth it. So here, okay, so then how would I define uh, meditation? Here's at least my intent. That I, I think the Word of God, like dwelling or meditating, meditating on the Word of God, would be to let it shape and saturate and satisfy your soul. So, so saturate yourself in the Word so that it shapes and satisfies your soul. Okay, so let me just say two more things about this. Very, I think hopefully practical, helpful things. Meditation, uh, meditating on God's word is different than reading, just reading God's word, and it's different than studying God's word, which, um, I, and, and Mathis d- differentiates that, and I think it's helpful, and here's why. Um, I think it takes study particularly, like they, they, they inform each other, but they're different, they're distinct, and I, I think understanding that distinction is helpful. So they fuel each other, but here's, here's, um, here's maybe how to put it. So reading would be, uh, you, you're surveying a forest. You, you're, you're surveying the grounds and you're looking at all of these trees. Studying would be, okay, I, 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 I want to know what this tree is. I kinda, okay, now I know the type of tree it is, and I'm, I'm going to cut it down, and I know which grain, which way I'm going to cut on the grain. I'm going to cut a bunch of firewood. I'm going to cut, chop this up. I'm really going to get to know this one aspect. You're studying, you're digging in. And meditation is taking those logs, putting them on the fire, sitting back, and enjoying God's Word. It's just letting it wash over you, saturate you. Like you, you've seen God, you've read His Word, you've studied it, and now you slow down and you just take it in. And you just wow. And you enjoy. And Lord willing, you therefore encounter um, the living God. So um, I do, I wonder if, so there's a, a Puritan, his name is Thomas Watson, said this. He said the reason, I wonder if this is true. I don't know if it's true. You can tell me if you feel like it's true. He said the reason we come away so cold from Bible, from reading the word, is because we don't warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. And so here's my encouragement. If you've never tried it, I would just say try it. See what happens. See what happens when you slow down and you're not just reading to try to get through it, but you're reading to find treasure. You take it, you take this gold nugget and you just chew on it. You just, so what, what would it actually look like? And um, I don't know that there's a right answer, but I do think it's, it's just, it's chewing on it. It's mulling it over in your mind. So here's one way you could just memorize. So you're reading and you, one line stands out and you go, you, you study to understand what's being said, and then you just commit it to memory. And not that you need to practice it then every day so you memorize it and can recall it at any moment, but just you memorize it just for that day, just so that it can be in your mind. And you're just, you're just meditating on it all day. And it's, you're just, and the next day you've forgotten it because now you've got a new text that you're putting. That's just one way. I, th- I think there's probably a dozen ways that you could do it. But um, that's just one way. Okay, so um, that's meditation. That's just one, one way. So I, was use, I wanted to use meditation as a way to think about coming to our Bible reading 
with the goal to encounter our God, not just to read. It's not the only way. There's, there's dozens of ways. Um, I think it's a helpful way. It can be a helpful way. It may not be ultimately for you, but I hope it could be. Um, but so let's just step back and, and just get to what is the very foundation? Like as I, we're closing these two sermons, the, here's, the, here's the takeaway. Here's what I'd want you to know and walk away with. More than anything, the aim when reading the word of God is to encounter God. Like that, like we, I think we just need that in our souls. Like we are reading not to say we're a church that read the New Testament this year, but to say we're a church who met our God through reading the New Testament this year. That, like that sounds subtle, but it's a massive difference. Like I want, we introduced a Bible reading plan, not so that we can sit next Sunday and be like, did you read it, bro? Like, and just condemn each other if we missed it. But rather, they would be like, did you see what our, like, I met God this way this week. That's the goal, that we'd be a church that's meeting our God. And so, okay, let me just close then with these last few words. So, um, the reading flag. Um, this is the first year, we've done reading flags, we've done them in the summer, we've done them other, other times. But this is the first year that we're like, hey, as a church, what if we tried this year to have a reading plan as a church together? So here's what we did. We put together um, a reading through the New Testament in one year. And we broke it up into quarters because that might sound like a daunting task. And so we thought, okay, let's just give it a three-month chunk. And that might feel daunting to you. And so here's what I would say. Just see, try for the month of January to join us and see what happens. So um, what we did is we broke it up and we gave five readings a week because we know that life happens and some days they get really busy and you don't get to the reading. And so we gave two days where you could catch up. And here's why we did that. Because we just want you to read it and encounter God. Not that, like, not that we have got seven days and so you come in feeling defeated because you missed one day of the week to open up and follow the reading plan. So we gave five and um, in hopes that that would help. And so um, five days, it's about a chapter a day. And in part, we did that one um, because I know that some of you here already have a reading plan that you're doing. And our hope is that we could get as many people at Table Rock to join in. So even if you're already doing a Bible reading plan, that it's not so much that you couldn't add this to what else you already have planned. And then for some of you, maybe this kind of daily Bible reading is new for you. And so we said, let's, let's do a chapter a day and begin to get the habit of meeting God in his word daily. And so um, that's what we did. So um, in the back, you will see there are bookmarks that look like this that have the reading for each day. So if you didn't get one of those or you want one, they're in the back. So these are free. But then also this year, um, Andrew put together this um, notebook. If you're like someone who wants a notebook and likes this, uh, these are sweet. So what it is, is each day um, there's a bright blank page so you could take notes on that day's reading and uh, some prompts to s help you pause, slow down, and intake and meditate and chew on God's word, not just to fly through. So there's prompts there for you. And then at the end of the week, there's a blank page for where you could do sermon notes. So you could bring it back to church and take notes on the sermon. And then in the back, we use a, a method in our life groups each week to study the Bible called story. And in the back are story templates so that you could use this for life group 
So essentially, this could be your table rock notebook that you just take everywhere. You're reading the Bible in the morning. You take it to church and take sermon notes. You take it to life group and you've got your notes for life group. So that's what this is. We ordered about 25 of them. And um, there's a few of them in the back. So they're in the back corner. And uh, there's like that Christmas card box. They're back there. And there's a few left. And so um, they did cost a little bit to print. So we're asking $13 to just cover the cost of printing them. You'll see there's a Venmo code back there where you could drop something in the Tide box with a note of what it's for. But there's, I think there's a few back there still. Um, and there's also a piece of paper because like, if we run out, you could just sign up and we'll, we'll order some more. They have to just take a week to get here. We'll get them to you next week. We just didn't want to order too many and then have a huge stack of them. So if you are interested and we run out, just put your name on there and we'll make sure to get them to you next week. So um, this costs $13. This is free. Um, so it's just like whatever you prefer. And then I'll say one more thing, kind of as we get started for the year. Uh, also in the back, you'll see a green bookmark. So you're like, wow, I got to have a lot of bookmarks, uh, which is true. Um, and that's because you're going to be reading the Bible a lot. So you can just keep book putting bookmarks in. But it's really because we think this is a helpful way. Um, but this is a bookmark for life groups and what the sermon series is and when we're preaching it. And so um, if you want to know what the sermon series like preaching is, that's what this is. But also for your life groups, grab one if you're in one of those. That way you can follow along with what we're doing. So. Um, I think that's all the details I wanted to say about that um, for the actual reading plan. So let me just close with this. Um, Mike, whether it's a Table Rock reading plan and whether you committed to a different reading plan, wh- whether you're you're just saying, I'm coming into 2024 and I just know I want to meet God. Um, here, here's the goal. The goal in all of this, whether it's reading the word, whether it's prayer, whether it's belonging to his body, as Acts 2.2 says, here's the goal. The goal is... Not godliness, that's a good thing. That's a great outcome. It's not growth, that's a good thing. It's a great outcome. I think the ultimate goal is to encounter our God. That's the goal. To commune with him, to meet him. And um, these are just tools to help us. And, and God has actually given his church these, um, which you see in our text. And that's why we want to do this in community. But he's also given us another thing, the Lord's Supper which is yet another way to just pause and just be invited into the king's presence and to remember that he's invited us into his presence to meet him and that one day we will sit in his presence face to face. And so what we're going to do now is as a church, we're going to come to the Lord's table. We do this every week and uh, we do so because he's invited us to say, come and remember what I have done and look forward to what is to come. And so um, as the community servers get ready, I want to just say a couple things. Number one, um, if you're not a believer here, if you're not a Christian, um, would you let the elements pass? And uh, I know that then, therefore, this meal isn't for you, but I would want you to know that you're an honored guest here with us. And we actually want to take you not to the table, but into the very presence of the king. We want you to meet him. Um, but for those who do know him, you don't have to be a member here to join us in communion. You do need to be trusting in Jesus. But if that's you, we'd love for you to come and join us at this table as we come to meet the king. And so the communion servers are going to come and then I will um, come back. So you can hold on to the elements and I will come back and lead us together and we'll take it. And I'm going to invite the um, worship band up as well. Um, and I'm going to pray and then we'll get ready to, um, to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, what a gift that you, God, have made a way that we could encounter you, that we could know you, that we could actually open the word not just read it, but encounter the living God, you, yourself. And oh, Father, how we hunger for that. 
It would be all for naught if what we did was to read and know more facts. If we were to hear a sermon and just have some sweet information. If we were to not know you, it would be all for loss. But thank you for your son who made a way that we now have fellowship with you. And thank you for this meal that we're going to partake of together where we remember the cost that it took in order for us to come into your fellowship and to be a part of your family. So meet us now, Father, as we come to the table. In your son's name we pray.